huh, that's new. It, that, did y'all hear the, uh, the, the announcement said it differently than they did? So I don't know if that's a Zoom update or if that means I'm doing it wrong, but uh, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow, I guess. Okay, well, um, welcome to the second week of our prayer book catechesis. I'm going through the offices of instruction. Um, as uh, we left off, we, we basically did the introduction and the Apostles' Creed last week. And we're, we're, again, we're, we're going to try to have this down to about uh, eight to 10 weeks, six maybe even, if we can. So we're not going to get bogged down in too many details. But if you do have um, good questions, even if they, you don't think they're good questions, they might be good questions. So ask them anyway. Um, there, are all, there are no bad questions. I'm, I'm making like a teacher mistake number one here. I remember in one of my first uh, classes, we were going to junior high. We'll just let y'all guess the content of the classes. One of the rules was there are no stupid questions. We're like, well, then we're not going to ask anything. We didn't realize they meant there, there's no such thing as stupid questions. We thought it was against the rules to ask stupid questions. We're like, well, that's the end of that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so let's pick up then on page 285, uh, just as a summary. Um, we, we talked about the Christian name, um, the, the giving of the name in, in baptism by the sponsors, and then the three promises, and the promises being um, to uh, renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, believe the articles of the Christian faith and keep God's holy will and commandments. And then we looked at the articles of the Christian faith as summarized in the Apostles' Creed. And now we're on page 285 uh, when we move into the next section. You'll notice that they break it up in the Office of Instruction with rubrics that allow for a hymn um, or even call for a hymn. So when it is used as an office, you kind of uh, throw in some music here and there. And I don't I've never seen this done the way it's intended, but it seems pretty cool in my head anyway. Okay, so 285, about halfway down. You said that your sponsors promised and vowed that you should keep God's holy will and commandments. Tell me how many commandments there are. And then the answer is, there are 10 commandments given in old time by God to the people of Israel. This is one of those areas where the um, Office of Instruction differs just a little bit from the catechism themselves, um, from, from the catechism proper, which is in the very back of the book, um, where the way the question is, is phrased a little bit different. It says, you said that your sponsors did promise for you that you keep God's commandment. Tell me how many there are. Ten. Which are they? The same which God spake in the 20th chapter of Exodus. And then we go through, through, the, uh, through the commandments. Um, I don't know why the Office of Instruction did it a little bit differently. Um, I, I wish they would have kept the, uh, the, the address in, in Exodus 20. I think that's a lot better, um, as it says. So um, let's set the stage. I think most everybody will remember this, but if not, the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 um, kind of happens um, shortly after the people of Israel have, ex have escaped out of Egypt. Uh, traditionally, we would say it was it was uh, on Pentecost. That's kind of the tradition that developed later is that that's when it, doing the math, it was right around the first Pentecost when they received the Ten Commandments. But the people of God are before, are the people the people of Israel are before God on Mount Sinai, and so this kind of becomes the Ten Commandments kind of become um, the first part of uh, the actual law itself, the covenant law itself. And so what we do in the office of instruction is after it's announced that there are 10 given in old time by God to the people of Israel, 
the minister says this, and I think this is really great. Let us ask God's help to know and keep them. And then he says, the Lord be with you and with thy spirit, let us pray. O almighty God, who alone canst order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men, grant unto thy people that they may love the thing which thou commandest, desire that which thou dost promise, that so among the sundry and manifold changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed, where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, this is one of the collects. Um, if this sounds familiar, it's because we prayed it not too terribly long ago. I did not look up which of the collects it is. So it's either at the end of Trinity Tide or uh, possibly in Advent. Um, if anybody wants to look that up and kind of tell us as we go on, that's great. Um, if not, that's okay. But yeah, so the, the Office of Instruction brought in one of our Sunday collects, which really sums up this problem uh, with the law, and that is that we need God to order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men, because our will and our affections, the things we love and the things that we want to do are unruly. They are naughty and need God to, uh, to, to put some order there. Um, and I think that's a really good prayer. Um, and, and then it reminds us that among all the kind of changing things in the world, the world is not a stable place. Uh, I think we can uh, all shake our heads in agreement with that in our in our in our recent experiences um, here here, in, here locally and in, in our in our country. Uh, but it says that despite all of that instability, unst that our hearts will be fixed where true joys are to be found, which is in God. And that's, that's the purpose we have for the commandments are to, um, as Christians, is, are to root us into God. So we talk about kind of in, in classic Reformation theology, and you'll find this phrase a little bit differently in different Reformation traditions, but we, st in terms of kind of the order of these, but we have the three uses of the law. And so the first use of the law is that it does indeed curb evil doing. So if we know that there's gonna be punishment for something, we're gonna be less likely in some way to do it, right? Everybody slows down when they see a cop. You know, that's the first use of the law, right? It does indeed curb um, evil behavior in to a certain extent. The second use of the law, and um, I think this is Luther's rendering uh, um, in terms of the order. Some, some folks flip the uh, second and third uses in terms of how they order it, but it doesn't really matter. The second use of the law is um, that it is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. We read about that, um, I believe in Galatians, how the law is a schoolmaster that sends us to Christ because we see that um, our hearts and wills are unruly because the law shows us that perfection that we're not living up to. And once we kind of get out of the um, self-delusional self-justification phase, you know, God wakes us up to our sin using the law. So St. Paul says, I wouldn't know what coveting was if the law didn't say thou shalt not covet. But now that it says that I'm convicted and I need to run to Jesus. So that's the second use of the law is that it, it, it uh, makes us run to Jesus for mercy because the law is not merciful <laughs> in, terms of its, in terms of its absolute goodness. But the third use of the law 
is that it does tell the people of God how you're supposed to live if you are the people of God. It tells us what it looks like to live as a child of God, as someone in covenant with God. And so that's why the law is so important in, in that Old Testament concept, uh, context. If you're going through our 30-day cycle of the Psalms, um, we just finished up yesterday Psalm 119, which is for us like a two and a half day set of Psalms that's all a love song to the law. Well, why? Because the law tells us how we're supposed to live when we're in relationship with God. And in that, the law also shows us what God is like. So when it comes to such an issue as thou shalt not bear false witness, God didn't flip a coin and say, okay, is lying good or bad? Flip. Okay, looks like it's bad. Thou shalt not you know, bear false witness. That's not how it worked. Rather, God tells us not to bear false witness because God is fundamentally truthful. Does that make sense? So the law, in its third use, the law tells us how we're supposed to live and also tells us what God is like. So with that in mind, let's take a look at these Ten Commandments. And we're not going to go do the, um, the, uh, the responses that we would do liturgically in Holy Communion or in the office. We'll just kind of go through them. Uh, number one, thou shalt have none other gods but me. Number two, thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, nor worship them. That's where we usually stop when we're reciting in Holy Communion, but let's keep going and actually read the entirety of the text, even the little, the little indented uh, bits. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, and visit the sins of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and show mercy unto thousands in them that love me and keep my commandments. Okay, this explicitly points out that last part. Why does God say you shouldn't have any graven image? Well, because God's a jealous God. It tells us something about him, right? Okay, uh, number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Um, oftentimes we kind of think of that in terms of um, you know, using the name of God in, in, in swearing and in, in, in cursing, um, that certainly is taking his name in vain, kind of those, those kind of blasphemous use of God's name. But um, in context, it's also going to be um, just misusing it, period. Um, you know, we need to treat God's name as special and treat God's name as holy and um, yeah, not misuse it, period. And we'll We'll look at some of the meaning of that in just a little while. Number four, remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days shalt thou labor and do all that thou hast to do, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no manner of work, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy, thy maidservant, thy cattle and the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Five, honor thy father and thy mother, that the day that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Sixth, thou shalt do no murder. Seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, thou shalt not steal. Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Ten, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his servant, nor his maid, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his. 
And then the minister prays, grant to us, Lord, we beseech thee the spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without thee may by thee be enabled to live according to thy will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so we have, we have these 10 commandments. Um, something that is not unimportant, it's not a huge deal, but do be aware that the 10 commandments are numbered differently in different traditions. We don't have these numerals in the text itself. And so um, there's kind of three major ways that they end up getting numbered. Um, this is the one that's more favored in kind of reformed circles following kind of in the footsteps of Calvin. The, the, the Lutherans, I believe, did things similar to the way that the Jew, Jewish people did it, but I could be wrong, where one and two are combined in Judaism and the preface that begins, I'm the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt. The preface is really the first commandment, even though it's not a commandment. Because um, in the Hebrew, it's not so much 10 commandments as 10 words. That's why we say the Decalogue, the 10 words. And that's, that's more faithful to what the Hebrew is, although it becomes colloquially known as the 10 commandments. The Roman Catholics do things a little bit different and the Lutherans might follow the Catholics on this. So I'm not sure which way the Lutherans fall, but I know they don't do it the way we do it. Um, where they keep one through nine the way that we do, but then they split I'm sorry, they combine one and two, like, like the Jewish people do, but then they split number 10 into um, coveting people and coveting goods. So they kind of split number 10 into two commandments. I think that approach is probably the least tenable just because in the text itself, it doesn't split them that way. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, the text doesn't really make as much of a distinction. Um, probably the best way is looking at the preamble as the first word, but I do think it's important to have a distinction between one and two as well. So, I mean, there's, there's good historical precedence for that. So, um, yeah, and, and the, uh, that, that preface goes, um, and this is in, um, in the, in the catechism proper on page 578, not the office of instruction. It says, okay, the same, which, which commandments are they? The same which God spake in the 20th chapter of Exodus saying, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Again, I really wish the office of instruction would have kept the preface. I think that's an important part of the text as well. So after we do this prayer on 287, back to the office of instruction, um, the priest says this, what does our Lord Jesus teach us about these commandments? And then it says, our Lord Jesus teaches us that they are summed up in these two commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So we have the summary of the law brought into the um, office of instruction. I think part of the reason why we do that is that we do recite the summary of the law during communion, as well as the Ten Commandments. You can do either way. Our parish custom is that we do the Decalogue on the first Sunday of the month, um, but, it, but it can't really be done at any time. The, the really important thing I want to drive home regarding the summary of the law is that it is the summary of the law. This is not the gospel, okay? You'll hear sometimes people, um, you know, most, most uh, or at least in my mind, it kind of stands out the most um, the Episcopal Church's presiding bishop, Michael Curry, I believe he did this at the royal wedding that he um, did the homily for 
um, a couple years back. Um, he was like, you know, this is the gospel. Love the Lord, you know, love God and love your neighbor. No, 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 Bishop, that is not the gospel. That's the law. Um, and here's the distinction. This is very important. The distinction between law and gospel is not a good, bad issue. You know, it's not law, bad, gospel, good. We're learning the law for good reason, right? We already talked about how Psalm 119 is a love song to the law and that the law tells us about God and tells us our duty, which is a good thing. No, the distinction between law and gospel is that we would know the difference between what God has done for us and what our duty is to God. What we do and what God does, and don't get that mixed up. Because if you start to think that what we do is the gospel, we're going to start to create a works-based gospel. Does that make sense? So in order to, to keep God's works front and center, that law gospel distinction is very important as, as a hermeneutic for reading the, reading the text. What has God done? There's gospel. What am I supposed to do? That's, um, that's the law, both of which are good, both of which are necessary in our, in our walk. But, but it's important to make that distinction. Okay, we're going to look at kind of um, fleshing out the commandments here in just a bit. But any, any questions, comments before we, uh, we move on? Okay. Um, second question on 288. What then do you chiefly learn from the Ten Commandments? And the answer is, I learned two things from these commandments, my duty towards God and my duty towards my neighbor. So again, this issue of Christian duty. What is your duty towards God? Answer, my duty towards God is to believe in him, to fear him, and to love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. So a reiteration of that summary of the law with this additional idea that we do have a duty to believe in him, um, to fear him, that, that is, a, that is a, um, a proper respect and awe of him. And yes, indeed, there is a fear of that at times. I mean, God is really, really big. That means he can be really scary. If you've never stood before God and been afraid, you're probably worshiping an idol, <laughs> is, is, is one, of my, one of my mentors like to say. Um, you know, God is big and that means he can be scary. Just like everybody's dad, is scary sometimes. That's part of what dads do. <laughs> dads can be scary. That's part of their role. Um, and if they're doing it right, it's because there's something you need to be afraid of. <laughs> um, that's one of the things the law does for us too. <laughs> okay, so to fear him, um, to believe in him, to love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. Belief, fear, and love, not antithetical. They all kind of go together. Then we talk about the individual commandments, and this is pretty neat. Um, commandments one and two, to worship him, to give him thanks, to put my whole trust in him, to call upon him. Okay, so the commandment was um, no other gods, no idols, and, that, and what that teaches us is to worship God, to give him thanks, and to put our whole trust in him, and to call upon him. Um, the, uh, the implication there is in prayer. So that's commandments one and two. And you'll notice that they do combine them because they really do teach one single issue. <laughs> so that, that's the problem with the numbering of the commandments. Number three, to honor his holy name and his word. Um, so that's number three being um, not to take his name in vain. Number four, to serve him truly all the days of my life. It's interesting, the, the commandment 
for the Sabbath day um, is, there, is, a, is a commandment to serve him. So that, that idea of resting in the Lord is tied to our service of the Lord. I think that's pretty neat. Um, you know, we are offering up a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving when we gather uh, to worship the Lord and put aside that time um, in fulfilling of that commandment. Okay, next question. What is you, your duty towards your neighbor? My duty towards my neighbor is to love him as myself and to do to all men as, as I would they should do unto me. Love him as yourself and to do to him as you would have them do to you. So number five is to love, honor, and help my father and my and mother to honor and obey the civil authority, to submit myself to all my governors, teachers, spiritual pastors, and masters, and to order myself in that lowliness and reverence which becometh a servant of God. Uh, our faith is, is one that does recognize authority. We are not anarchists, right? We're not rebels. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And, and this particular tradition has tended to be one that really emphasizes um, emphasizes that part of our duty. Sometimes that's an overemphasis in our history, but um, this is biblical. You know, this idea to um, love, honor, help mother, to honor and obey the civil authority, to submit myself to my governors, teachers, spiritual pastors, and masters, order myself in that lowliness and reverence, which becometh a servant of God. Um, whenever this comes up, there's, there's a couple of issues that, that tend to be brought up. What do you do when that authority is um, a wicked authority. Well, you still have a certain duty to them, right? Um, we have a couple of uh, military guys here. And, um, you know, George, what, what is it they say regarding saluting when you, have, um, when you have a superior that is not a good guy? Oh, you're, you're, uh, you're muted, you're muted, George. I don't know that uh, you get to make that choice if, if you're facing a superior officer or something and, and uh, you don't necessarily have the time or the, the uh, pleasure of deciding, well, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Or that's right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And, and there's, there's an old phrase. They say, salute the uniform, right? Pretty much. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, he, he, you're, your superior officer may be a, the biggest jerk, but you're saluting the uniform anyway because he's your superior. Uh -huh. At least that's how my dad always put it. Um, that's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and, and George, having been a general, he, uh, he, he got to wear the top uniform. So there we go. <laughs> Could you please instruct Pam is that the saluting part too? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, 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 uh, we'll put that in our next uh, staff meeting there. She does um, it a little different than you just explained. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, I'm sure. Um, yeah, so, so we, we do. All that to say is we do have an um, we do have a um, a duty towards our those that are in authority over us. Um, now there there are also uh, within within the scriptures we do see ways of handling that, and this is kind of beyond what we're going to get into in catechesis. Um, I, I recently read a book by um, uh, one of the ACNA canons, a fellow named Issa McKelly, which is called uh, "Reading While Black," and he addresses that within the context of his own cultures. Um, history with slavery and 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 problems like that, and I think he did a pretty good job in in, the, in that book, kind of bringing some really good nuance 
um, because these kinds of things were very much abused by Christians in, in our history um, to keep other people down rather than be the kind of authority that God calls us to be. So um, that's, that's also very important. Okay, let's look at number six. Number six is the, the uh, thou shalt not murder. And um, we learn to hurt nobody by word or deed, to bear no malice nor hatred in my heart. Um, that can be hard. It's, uh, you know, it's really easy to say I've never murdered, but what did Jesus say? If you've um, been angry with your brother in your heart, you've murdered him in your heart. So that's a, that's a difficult thing. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. We learn to keep my body in temperance, soberness, and chastity, um, self-control. Number eight, um, which is a thou shalt not steal, to keep my hands from picking and stealing, to be true and just in all my dealings. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's the obvious stealing, but there's also ways of stealing without stealing, and we're not to do that either, right? Um, so yeah, to be true and just in all my dealings. Number nine, um, not bearing false witness, it says to keep my tongue from evil speaking, lying, and slandering. Number 10, um, coveting, not to covet or desire other men's goods, but to learn and labor truly to earn mine own living and to do my duty in that state of life unto which it shall please God to call me. Um, yeah, these are, these are good practical um, things. And remember that we're kind of in the context here, we're teaching older children about a lot of these things. So these are good things that uh, children need to learn regarding their duty. Um, and then we have this uh, kind of transition to the next one, and we'll stop with after this prayer. Um, but I want to introduce it, and we'll 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 go back. Um, we'll go. We'll pick up at this same prayer next week. Um, after a hymn, the uh, the minister says, "Know this that you are not able to do these things of yourself." nor to walk in the commandments of God and serve him without his special grace, which you must learn at all times to call for by diligent prayer. What is the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray? And then we learn the Lord's prayer. But let's go ahead and put a bookmark in the text itself. We're not going to go any further today. But um, yeah, any, any, any discussion on the Ten Commandments, on the issue of God's law and our duty towards God and towards our neighbor? Okay, well, then we will. Um... Oh, Pam, did you have something? You're muted. Still muted. There you go. Now, one of the things that I never really noticed because I hadn't really gone through it was on um, number five, you know, to. Um, love, honor, and help my father and mother. And then it goes on to people in authority. And, you know, that was, I had not really even thought about that before. <laughs> so uh, I don't think I've ever read the offices of instruction. Maybe it's because it, it, it's not the same in the Episcopal prayer book. Um, in the 79, it's a little bit different. Um, I don't recall it, to be honest. It's been years since I've looked at the 79s. But um, into authorities, yeah, yeah, and and that that has been historically within within the Christian teaching tradition that has been uh, the way that the fifth commandment has been applied. You know, when it when it comes to uh, 
you know, we would see Paul's commandment in Romans 13, for example, to flow out of the commandment to, to honor our father and our mother. You know, the idea being here that the, um, you know, so, sometimes we kind of think of the Ten Commandments as, okay, this is all God's asking us to do. But really, the Ten Commandments are really the summary of the entire Old Testament law. You know, I mean, the, everything falls into these ten categories. And then, of course, our Lord um, condenses it down to even two other categories, you know, loving God and loving your neighbor, which was not original to him, by the way. Um, that is something that... that, that um, had popped up in the rabbinic tradition even before his time. So he's, he's not, he wasn't coming up with something brand new there. Same with uh, the golden rule. You know, we, we see examples of the golden rule um, like in, in Asia, like a thousand years before the time of Christ. And we certainly see it in the rabbinic literature before his time as well. So all that to say is that, um, you know, all truth is God's truth. And it's really neat that our Lord affirmed some of those um, those ways of doing it by bringing it into his teaching, but but yeah yeah the, the Ten Commandments really do sum up our duty rather than kind of being a wooden literalistic limit to our duty. It kind of gives us the categories to live by. And you'll notice that we do have those two. Sometimes we'll hear about the two tables of the law, one through four, being our duty towards our neighbor, and then I'm sorry, duty to God, and then five through ten being our duty towards um, our neighbor. And in the communion service, it is broken up that way. You'll find um, one through four is on one page, at least in our prayer book, and uh, five through five through 10 are on the other. Um, I'm getting, a, getting a, a page number for y'all real quick. Um, page 68, yeah, so page 68. And 69. So yeah, the first table of the laws on 68, the second table of laws on 69. And you it's it's not uncommon to see it kind of written out that way on like plaques and stuff. Once upon a time in Anglican circles, we didn't have um, any iconography like we do in our chapel. And stained glass was pretty much limited to cathedrals and very large, wealthy things, but kind of on the on a local parish level, something more like our size, the main decorations would have been um, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Creed. Those three things that we're supposed to learn, it would have been um, kind of artistic depictions of, of those things, um, usually up front in the chancel area. All right, uh, Tina. Yeah, I just was considering the the um, commandment, of course, about keeping the Sabbath, but then this saying, and to serve him truly all the days of my life. And I was trying to like consider like the connection there. And the thought came to my mind about all the times when um, they caught Jesus healing on the Sabbath, right? Or they caught him, you know, doing things on the Sabbath and they were like forcing it more on the no, you're not supposed to be working. But this is making the connection about it being more of, you know, your service. And obviously these people were hurting. Why not free them on the Sabbath? And I just, I, I just like that connection. I think that that's, that's more in line with like the spirit of the commandment um, than it is in saying, you know, you must do all these rules. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that's a that's a really good really good connection. You know, um, what was it was it that Jesus said to the Pharisees? You know, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm? Right, and and to refrain from doing some of the some of his father's work would have been to do harm is kind of the kind of the implication. And I also think it's not um, it's not coincidental that we call and we have forever and ever we call our worship the divine service. Um, you know, sometimes in some circles that phrase is limited to communion, other, other times that's limited to the offices and other circles, but really worship is also, you know, is, is service to the Lord as well. And um, as I, I think, think N.T. Wright liked to say, um, the, the same path that leads up to the communion table leads out the door to your neighbor. And, 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 and that, that should be the, kind of the practical outflow of, of our Christian worship is that then it should change us so that we would then go and, and, and be Jesus's hands and feet um, to the rest of the world. That's a, that's a really good, good observation, Tina. All right. Any, any, anybody else or, or we'll go ahead and call it uh, call it a, 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 a class. And we'll pick up with the Lord's Prayer next week. All right. God bless you all. I'm going to go ahead and stop the, stop the recording. Mm -hmm.